0: What's happening, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Libations for Everyone. Sipping thoughts. Wait, sipping shots and sharing thoughts. That is more of a tongue twister, and I haven't even started drinking yet. But that is what we do here. We're trying to recreate all your favorite bar conversations in a, a podcast form so you can listen to them at home. We hope everybody out there kind of plays along with us. And you should know the rules by now, but for those of you that may be new, uh, basically the idea is we start with a shot and we throw out a topic to talk about slash ask questions about. And after 10 minutes Timer goes off We take another shot And there we go We start on a new topic Uh, With me as always Is
1: my amazing co-host Charles Awad Yo I just real quick Want to shout out To Laserbeak That's our theme song Some people have asked about that Oh nice Our theme that intros And outros us Is is by Laserbeak And uh, Yeah I probably should have ate dinner before this. <laughs> I, had some, I had some baba ghanouge. That was my, hey, that was my we're, dinner. We're just going to
0: get some extra truth out. Uh, for anybody else that's wondering, too, we are pouring uh, one-ounce shots or non-Minnesota shots uh so we're not trying to like hurt anybody or get anybody wrecked we just want to have a good time and kind of loosen up by having some beverages um with us today is my good friend mr jd fratsky my man uh say hello to everybody and tell them a little bit about yourselves
2: uh hello everybody my name is jd fratsky i am a fifth generation minnesotan grew up in winona minnesota been living up in the twin cities for 30 years um I lived up here for a short period of time before I got bit by the bug of the hospitality industry. And that's where I've spent most of my, uh, professional career. That's how I've kept the roof over my head for quite a while. Um, but, uh, I've done. Uh, I've done some writing. I spend a lot of time outside. Uh, I have a kayak that I named Red Medicine. That's I am awesome. Mar- I am married to a uh, married to a wonderful lady named Lisa, who's uh, from that foreign country to our east. <laughs> and we have a 15 year old daughter named Nina. And so this uh, past four months, COVID time, have allowed me to hang out with them a lot more and fall in love with them even deeper. So that's know, amazing. Yeah, life like- is. Uh, life is. Despite the madness, you have to find where life is good, and I'm feeling life is pretty good.
0: That's amazing to hear. Hopefully, we're going to add to the good vibes here. Uh, we're about to take our first shot. Charles, what are we having?
1: We are drinking Banyez Mezcal. Oh, yes. Ooh. It's a good uh, shelf Mezcal. You see it at a lot of bars now being used in cocktails, right there with Vita. It's a very commonly used, You know, not very expensive bottle, around $35, but super tasty. It's got uh, the smokiness in check. It's not super smoky. Nice brown flavors, easy to shoot, so we're going to
2: do that right now. All right, well, let's give a quick shout-out to uh, your friend and mine, Jeremy Nordine. My man. Because when he is now my neighbor, and last time we were hanging out in the alley, he made Mezcal Old Fashions. This is one of the best Mezcals for that, too. (laughs) All right.
0: Uh, Welcome to 40, Jeremy. Prost. Cheers. Prost. All right. J.D., if you randomly came into a lot of money like you won the lottery or uh what, what is the thing in in life the game it's like your rich great uncle passes away so the and for the, the entire uh, inheritance right. what is the first selfish thing that you would do I'm not talking about like the people that like school fund i'd pay for my parents house I'd, right no get rid of all that what's the first thing that you would be like this one's for me
2: i would be I would buy a a a parcel of land on a body of moving water. Uh,
0: Anywhere in particular that you would dream of right now?
2: Well, of course, the Driftless Region would be a good place for me. And then, depending on how large, uh, how large said discovery of uh, of of payroll was, um, we'd probably have to get something in the desert for Lisa too. So, Uh,
0: uh, U.S. desert somewhere else?
2: Yeah, she's big fan of uh, like the Utah. Idaho Nevada region so gorgeous out there, yeah, Arches National Park. she went out there, I think for spring break when she was in her senior year of college and can't stop thinking about it. She knows she belongs there, so
0: it's amazing, yeah my uh one of my mom's best friends from high school moved out to Idaho uh, in right after college, yeah. and we drove out to visit her and then dipped down all the way around through Utah and back up and it really is some of the most amazing, gorgeous, and foreign looking land. From some for some totally. Minnesota,
1: yeah. You hear a lot about Utah. I have a lot of friends that vacation there annually, actually spend a lot of time there. Agnew spends a lot of time there, yeah.
2: Well, it, when I was uh, when was I was 21, I think I uh, I drove out to California because uh, a friend of mine was moving to Malibu to go to school, and we drove south to Oklahoma so she could say goodbye to friends and then we got on highway 40 west which is old route 66 so gorgeous and the northern Texas panhandle is the ugliest country (laughs) and like plug ugly it's awful you know it's like that cliche shit you know and but uh I'll just I'll never forget like we were driving through a, a, a windstorm and it was dark out and I was determined to drive as far as we could drive that night and all of a sudden like the clouds broke and at the same time that the landscape changed and there were like all of a sudden I was seeing like cactuses and gullies and the road instead of going straight started to twist and like everything you'd seen in a cowboy movie when you were a kid was lit up by moonlight. Like I kept wanting to just pull the car over and run into the landscape, you know? But uh like that that seriously changed me. That was like one of those mo- moments where it's like, yeah, being an American is pretty cool. We got a <laughs> lot like of nice places to go, man. <laughs> call this land Biblevania.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have a spectacular di- distaste for that area in the northern Texas. Yeah. I, um, I twice had flights. I'd never been to Texas, and I twice had flights get canceled or rerouted. So I didn't even set foot in Texas. Awful. So I was driving from Arizona across 40, and then I was going to come up 35. Sure. And just before the Texas border, the worst blizzard in the history mm-hmm. of Texas hit. And they shut down the highway while we were on it. Really? And I
1: drove, we
0: like literally, so there was a semi that had
1: flipped. And Hold that on. was. Is the worst blizzard in the history of Texas like a quarter inch of snow? That was
0: the joke that we were <laughs> making at the time <laughs> yeah, it was like, right? oh man, quarter inch of snow. <laughs> we're Minnesotans. Everyone's spinning out. So a, a semi truck flipped. So all traffic was stopped. And they had to get the semi tow truck to come down and pull that off. They didn't even flip it, they just pulled it off the road sure. so that people could drive and turn around. And uh, in the time that it took for that to happen, probably about two to two and a half hours, um, the snow was already halfway up the door.
1: That's how much it was snowing. Right. So... So it was real. It was real. And we were and actually... For them, it was get, probably we exceptionally in, panic-inducing. Well,
2: and they... Exactly. well they Texas. Do, they don't salt, and they don't have plows. Mm-mm. So... <laughs>
0: So we pull up, and there's this uh, sheriff's deputy just standing there, and he's got the road flares on either side of him, and he's just doing the, the symbol that the third base coach does to like yeah. go home. Yeah, He's doing that, and I rolled down the window, and I'm like, this is how I get home. What am I supposed to do? And he goes, I don't know, but you got to turn your ass around. So we had to drive all the way back to Albuquerque and then cut up and go through um, Colorado to get right. home. So you, sh- it added you should have extra taken day. that left turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, see? I, I believe that's the problem is that we went to Albuquerque, not Albuquerque. Right. Uh, but I still have a hatred in my heart for that area yeah. because of that adding an extra day. So I had to call in sick to my job the next day because I wasn't home. Like, it was so much stacked up on top of that. Oh, sure. So even just thinking about you mentioning it got me angry again. Right, right. <laughs> Charles, what would you do if you had a ton of money?
1: I think I have a similar answer because I would probably purchase properties in just various parts of the world just to have a roof over my head whenever i need it That's uh, i have a place in lebanon already as you know yeah. as Kwam oh, knows uh in batrun uh right right on the coast we discussed that a little bit in, in I, episode one i wow, did a deep awesome. dive actually that night i didn't even <laughs> yeah.
0: tell you that i did a deep dive nice. just looking at pictures and it really is some of the most beautiful scenery i've ever seen
1: yeah it's not
2: in the Bekaa valley what's that it's not in the Bekaa valley <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's about an hour and a half away, but we go to the Becca Valley frequently. Awesome. I love Kisara It's probably my favorite winery in the world, uh, so we frequently visit there. We were there last year when we did our little, like, dual honeymoon sort of uh, wedding reception there. But, yeah, I would just expand on that. You know, that was, like, the first Lego piece, and obviously I have a roof over my head in the Twin Cities But I would love to have a place in various parts of the world, both that I've traveled to and places I have not traveled to. Because what's better than being able to just hop on a flight and know that you're taken care of for a place to stay for whatever duration?
0: Precisely. You guys are just better people than me. Because I considered that responsible. Like, buying property, like, to me, that's like, you're growing wealth, you're doing the thing. I... Complete other direction, although I would do that. Okay. I would 100% get an apartment in either New York City or Paris because mm. every time I'm there, it feels like I'm home even though I'm not. Okay. And then I would for sure buy a cabin somewhere in Norway just so I could do my whole, right. this is my blood. Uh, but honestly, <laughs> if I had a ton of money, I would, I would divvy up. I would put aside whatever chunk that was. So say it was a lot. I would pull you know, $50 million out, and I would throw a concert. With all bands that I like that have nothing to do with each other. Okay. <laughs> I would charge $20. So you get to see, you know, a dozen bands, charge $20 or $30 and then donate all the money. Hold on. You're, you think we're better than you because you would throw a charity concert? But I just wouldn't, <laughs> I would feel guilty taking the money. It would 100% be for me. I would have, I'm just doing that so I don't feel shitty. I would literally sit in a chair and just squeeze at bands that don't match up genre wise have yeah. nothing to do with each other yeah. i would pay bands to get back together okay. i would just say how much would it cost cuz right. we need to do this i'm not making money we're going to donate it all
1: come on you don't you guys- realize you're just planning firefest 2.0 basically yeah i mean
0: <laughs> bread cheese Bread sandwiches. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Lovely. One slice of tomato. Let's go. <laughs> but I like
1: how I like how JD and I were selfish, and you were like, "Oh man, mine's way seedier." I would donate a bunch of money to charity. But it
0: still involves that I have to throw the most selfish party on earth, and then for my own karmic scale, I'll donate the money. That's fair. But it would—I would literally probably call it Quamstock, like it would just be like BQ's Music Fest. What's the genre? Like, who's going to be there? Bands I like. Shut up or, and go or don't. Yeah. I don't really care. Do
1: you have a j- dream journal for this concept? Oh,
0: yeah. You gotta. You been think about this. My,
2: <laughs> so, so, you think?
0: <laughs> whatever happens, it has to end with Jurassic 5 into Foo Fighters. Because Jurassic 5 Live, if any of you guys haven't seen them, is one of the most entertaining shows you'll ever see. Five lyricists oh, and two DJs me? just yeah. killing it. And then... Also, does Dave, Dave
1: Grohl drum for them? That's what I'm play? hoping. That's oh. what I'm hoping. You got the money. I mean. Or have...
0: Or have uh, I watched uh, Newmark put a rubber band on a record needle, and he did a bass solo off against a guy on a stand-up bass. And all Newmark was doing was stretching the rubber band to make the pitch go higher and letting it get closer to the needle while he was strumming it with his finger. And him and a bass player went back and forth for five minutes. Huh. I'm hoping... I just show the guys in the Foo Fighters that and then we could do like a beat versus Dave Grohl playing breakbeat shit. Like that's that's what I want. I want that.
1: (laughs) I I look forward to it when you get your windfall of cash from.
0: So if anybody has a winning lottery ticket, that's just they don't really feel like fits them or it's really their style.
1: Holler at me. I think we can do this. (laughs) So Someone that's so wealthy, they don't need the lottery ticket, which is a person that doesn't exist because the more wealthy you have, the more you want.
0: Hey, it worked. Oh, (laughs) little
1: little life lesson. And then the ding went off. (laughs) I
0: I still love how janky this is. I like the idea of us using an egg timer at some point. But the uh, that at least
1: was audible. So we could hear that. Let me just say that last time with the sirens, I was listening in my car and I was like, this was a terrible idea.
0: (laughs) uh, I got the Uh, that's the sound of the police. Right. That was what we used in the last episode. And it was I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, all right, Charles, you want to pour up another round, or should I? What's? Uh, I'm here. Yeah, Hold on. if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, so episode one, and now episode three, we're using the doorbell. And I was like, well, if you're listening at home, you may be like, what's that? And then episode two was the...
2: Is someone here? Oh, they're pouring its drinks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We'll maybe keep mixing it up until we find something we really love. I was saying maybe we could sample the Laserbeak song yeah. that we used to intro and outro, and like the, the opening bell could be our bell, but we haven't done that yet. So I
0: actually pulled... Uh, <laughs> momentary pause in our timing here. I actually <laughs> pulled that, that doorbell. Did you? But I can't figure out how to hotkey it so that it will
1: work for the sound of a 10-minute timer. I will put the MP3 or MP4 on my... Laptop. Okay, we can do it that way. I might Sweet. even be able to wire it direct in. Let's, yeah, we'll figure that out. All right, cool.
0: So you're you're in on the ground floor of how the magic happens. <laughs> All our,
1: right, this is our production episode. Here we go. The
2: magic of production. Salud,
1: salud. salud, Oh, that's the good stuff. <laughs> uh, oh. With,
0: Napkins. Hold on, I just made a mess. Uh oh, Quan made a mess. Man. Yeah, I mean, you know, dribbling it all over with these huge one ounce pours. So took your to fit it in the your glass.
2: crazy mad bartending skills, your years <laughs> of experience. Look, I can
0: make a great drink, but I was
1: never clean doing it. Right? There's, There's a count n- if it didn't all go in your mouth. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll take a just, an extra sip of beer. You're just doing yeah.
2: mezcal Spanish style. You're pouring it from <laughs> yeah. four feet away, mezcalero. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, really, shit. We should graduate to pour at some point. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Here's to, to make up for that, I'm going to have a huge poll of this gorgeous Earth Rider uh, bohemian pilsner from my good friend, Allison Ralph. Uh, Allison, you're amazing.
1: I think we just named a new cocktail bar.
0: There it is. Uh, all right. So topic two, something that's very near and dear to both of our hearts.
2: Uh, well, don't exclude Charles.
0: Well, Charles <laughs> knows that I'm going to ask this. You don't. All right. <laughs> uh, my question is, can you think of a specific time or a specific band song album that music stepped in and changed the course of what you were doing? It could be a time that it huh. saved you. It could be a time that you were headed down a path that wasn't right. It could be just a song that made you realize that there was something else that you wanted to do. Or it could be a time that... Uh, the whole catalog of an artist spoke to you enough that you felt like it was telling you to do something different, do something better, do something crazy. Like,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah, a bunch of different times. I mean, I, the first one I can think of for sure is, uh, probably. Oh, all right. So this is, I'm 14 years old. I think, And uh, a friend of mine has introduced me to the cult's electric album. And so I'm 13. Friend of mine has introduced me to the cult's electric album. You know, I'm 13 years old, so I don't have a lot of money. I'm not I'm not out there buying eight ninety nine cassettes all the time. Um, But I remember right before summer vacation started, I bought the cult's. Third album, technically, love, love. And that's all I listened to. That it was that album, Black Flags. Who's got the ten and a half? And Misfits Evil Live. I listened to those albums all fucking summer. And the thing that I loved about the thing that I loved most about the the Love album is that you know the summer that you turn thirteen to fourteen, and you're riding a skateboard, and you've just gotten out of the eighth grade there's nothing in life that works for you, you know? And I mean, I had, I had friends and we were skating all the time and it was summer vacation, but you know, you, you know, I was mowing lawns to get any money that I could get, but you know, there, there's no power over anything you can do in your life, except what you can dig for and what you can find. And I really didn't like myself ever that much. I mean, like, eighth grade was like to this day is still one of the worst years of my life.
0: I feel like if you asked any human being on earth, that has to always be like the median answer would like barring tragedy and whatnot. I think the median answer would be that seventh into eighth grade is probably the worst ever.
2: Everything hurt that year. I mean like I, I I'm serious like without getting too dark, like that's, that's as close as I've ever, I've, I've gotten, that was the first time I ever got close to not being here anymore. Yeah. And, you know, digging deeper into it a little bit, like, that is also one of the things that I think really fueled me into being a good skateboarder and, and what fueled me into spending a lot of time, like, hiking and rock climbing and going on the river and stuff like that because I got to that point where, you know, I really didn't give a fuck if I died. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I I was going to... I was going to roll my skateboard off the top of this van. And I was going to try for that handrail slide, you know, like those kinds of things, because like, if I made it, I was going to be cool. And if I got hurt, no one gave a fuck about it anyway. So, you know, that's the way you thought, you know, when you're that lost and, and when you're in that place, when, when you don't feel like anything else in your, your life works, but, but Ian Asbury and Billy Duffy, if you guys are listening
0: they clearly that, are. They're subscribers.
2: That album is the only thing in my life that made me feel beautiful. It is the only thing in my life that made me feel like there was something out there somewhere that I could touch and be a part of and that I'd finally feel comfortable and that I would finally feel like I could soar. I mean, that is a beautiful album in a million different ways. It's poetry and it's psychedelic and it rocks the fuck out. Yeah, it does. But it also touches so much like Ancient spirituality and Native American spirituality—a lot of things that I could identify with. Like that album really shifted a lot of gears for me.
1: Can you reiterate which album for the listeners?
2: Uh, the Cult's Love album. Okay, such a good record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it—you know—it it starts off with you know this beautiful song called Nirvana, you know, and like I, I used to—I had a friend of mine and I like we used to get in arguments about like you know because I got it on cassette, right? And I do i wore that thing out. I melted it swear to God and we used to get in fights of like you know what the the b-side should be the a-side on that album like the the b-side starts off with the phoenix and it's that solid blast you know like it's sonic psychedelia it should that's the way that you should hit it and then you know a couple songs later is she sells sanctuary the song that everybody knows and then you get that out of the way and then you have to listen to the rest of the really good stuff you know like, like so i mean i you know and i i love that you know we're Like I said, we're 13, 14 years old. I weigh all of like 89 pounds or something, you know, and I'm riding a skateboard around dinging up my shins and and getting scabbed up every day, you know, talking about how this music makes you feel and how important it is to you. Totally,
0: man. That's it's almost the same year for me. It was one year later. Uh, I felt all the same way as you. I just hadn't stumbled onto what it was. I was basically looking at my library when I was 12, 13, 14. I was basically setting myself up to be a DJ. I just didn't know it yet. Because <laughs> right. my entire collection was basically like hip-hop and then pop albums. Like whatever the radio songs were, so I would know them so that I could talk to girls about them. Slash, I've always loved a really good like major chord harmony is my jam. I love a hooky pop song. It is what it is. My man. But my first girlfriend, Missy Bernhardt, who is still an amazing human being, uh, gave me... I went to... A spring break vacation to see my aunt and uncle in Phoenix, Arizona. She gave me a copy of Pearl Jam 10. Yeah. And she said, I just got this, but I think you need to have this. Yep. And so I took it with me and my aunt and uncle had a hot tub and uh, you could, all you could see was like the Camelback mountain and the stars. And I listened to the whole album front to back. And it was the first time that I thought somebody was talking to me. It was everything else. Like I loved listening to hip hop, but I couldn't identify with any of that except being in the city. But, like, that wasn't my story. I wasn't getting hassled by the cops. It was just cool shit to listen to. And right. it said something. And I loved listening to that from other people. Pop shit isn't meant to identify with anybody. It's meant to identify with everybody completely as a general term. Right. And 10 hit me. And my parents split up when I was real young. And I'd never lived with my dad. I never stayed with my dad. So there's always, like, a dad issue thing. And the last song in there is Release. Yeah. Which is about him and his dad. And it's so funny that that floored me. I listened to that song on repeat for probably two hours Mm -hmm. and uh, bringing it back around to Jeremy Nardine that we were just talking about one of the first nights that him and I stayed up (laughs) to like 5 a.m. We were trading favorite songs and I put it on and he just turns around. He goes, no, dude, this is like and we basically finished each other's sentences. And it was just somebody else like when it connects that then that became that became my thing. Radio and, didn't like grunge at first. Parents hated it. MTV didn't know what to do with it. Right. Nobody, but they were making songs for us.
2: Yeah, you know? Precisely. You're and, you're
0: pissed off. You're angry because you don't fit in anywhere. And you just want to sing about it. It's not... But,
2: and yeah. that's what I loved about that whole movement. It was, it was a whole big bucket of, you know, no one gives a shit. I mean, it was like that. I I can't even remember who it was that they were interviewing. But it was one of those things where like, you know, we just wanted to make music that sounded like... Kiss Black Sabbath and Cheap Trick at the same time because, you know, that's, we didn't, we were Seattle, we were a a metropolis that nobody paid attention to, you know, we just wanted to make music that sounded like everything we listened to, you know, and, and, you know, Minneapolis has done wonders for that, you know, for 30, 40, 50 years, the same way, man. What What about about you? you, Charles?
1: Mine's pretty concise, but what's interesting is it sort of refers back to episode one because you asked me where my love of extreme music yeah. derived from and my love of metal, and I couldn't define where my love of death metal precisely came from, but my love of metal actually was born out of the fact that my neighborhood friend, actually my next-door neighbor's grandson, Brian, who was one of my best friends when I was a kid, Northeaster, might be listening to this, I'll let him know, uh, gave me a tape of Master of Puppets. Mm. Yeah. Hell uh, at the time, I hadn't really heard much metal at all, but when I played it in my room, I cranked it so loud that my dad whooped my ass to that <laughs> Uh He thought it was satanic, and he thought I was playing it sure. too loud. He also derided me for having a poster of Wolverine placed higher on the wall than the crucifix. Oh, boy. So there is some uh, real deep... <laughs> Deep-seated emotions that are tied well, to that experience can, of listening to Considering the Master. cover of Master of Puppets, too, you know. Absolutely so, right. You know, yeah.
2: there, there's little questionability there. Uh, yeah, something you wouldn't forget. I think dad, I was like twelve. Dad, look, Dad, his yeah, cross is right here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: my my babysitter. Uh, it was probably a dub, though. <laughs> right, right. My babysitter Ben Olson um, dubbed a tape of Ride the Lightning for me because he caught me playing his bass, like just trying to. I was, I don't know, I was eight or nine, maybe ten years old tops. And he taught me how to play Smoke on the Water. Of course. (laughs) And then he said, if you want to hear the greatest bass player of all time, uh, listen to Call of Cthulhu. It's Cliff Burton's greatest masterpiece. My mom also thought Metallica was satanic. So uh, I had to hide the cassette inside. It was some pop Record it was like a like the Pointer Sisters album. Oh, and my mom just right. thought I was listening to the Pointer Gemma Sisters flies. all the time with my headphones on. But today, literally today, right before I came here, my vinyl copy of Ride the Lightning showed up, and I am going to play it tonight when I get home Gorgeous. in defiance oh, of my mother in 1987 <laughs> or 88 or whatever. But this is my my way of, of... take that, mom, 34 years <laughs> ago. <Exactly. laughs>
2: so you know, going back to the earlier part of the conversation, like when I was talking about those three albums I listened to that summer. You know the the misfits being one of them. Of course, that you know, like one, like growing up in Winona, Minnesota, like you know, the 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 parameters were so tight. Once you started skateboarding, as as to what you could listen to and what you couldn't, you know, and and you know, and I, I'm sure you guys have had tons of conversations about what that was like and how much that's changed, and you know, but there, it was so tribal, yep, you know, like like it was. you had to draw your line in the sand. And you know, like because if you listen to Motley Crue, well, you wouldn't skateboard. You couldn't, you know, like what? You have it's it's got to be the Exploiter. It's got to be a Sex pistol, It's got to be the Clash. You know, like, and uh, that was one of the things. The fact that Cliff Burton and James Hetfield both wore the Misfit Skull T-shirts whenever they performed. Oh, my God. And then when Garage Days came out and the fact that they actually covered Green Hell and they covered Killing Joke, we're like, oh, okay, then they're in. Then we can listen. We finally (laughs) listen to metal again. Oh, my God. But but that summer, like that was one of those albums like I'll, I'll never forget. It was it was one of those like Mississippi River Valley, you know, breathing wet blanket weather. And so my brother and sister and I, the only air conditioner we had in the house was in the living room. And so like we shut all the doors to the living room and my brother and my sister and I would leave our bedrooms and we would sleep in the living room. And I was sleeping on the couch cause I was the oldest brother. Top dog. Yeah. Um, but I put on my Walkman, and that was the first time I listened to master of puppets start to finish. And I'll just, I'll never forget like paying attention to every lyric yeah. in that album and every groove. And that, was, groove it's in a spectacular. And that it was just for you. Yeah, that's, that exactly. Was and so the next summer, there was a skate competition, and my first run was done to battery. Yes. Hell so, yeah.
0: <clears throat> also, Charles, off topic, I just want to apologize to you. I wasn't handing you the bottle like pour me booze. <laughs> no, I, know I was handing convenient. it to you to pour it and thought you'd set it back down and then I'd pour it for me. I just no, thought no, that was... No, it's convenient. That was very rude. I, I
1: apologize. No, no. It's, it was, I just figured you were midstream on a topic, but uh, let's move along, huh? Yeah. Take a uh, shot. Take a shot. Cool. Mm. This one's right up to the rim. Yeah. I'm going to have a qualm spill spillage. It. There it is. Right. Cheers,
2: Cheers. Guys. Here's the drop detuning. Yeah.
1: Spill free. Ow, ow, ow. I got a little bit in my beard, though, so that's a party foul. <laughs> I had a
0: discussion about uh, uh, beards and soup over the weekend. on oh, <laughs> <man>. there. <laughs> It really is just me a shoe.
1: I had the same conversation. How is that possible? Black beard too, like the darkest black beard imaginable, and like a creamy soup or mayonnaise is just a bad. This is horrible. It's bad. The, the worst is marshmallows or like oh, processed cheese because it actually just like solidifies. Absolutely. <laughs> I like thought about that. A part of my face. <laughs> so this next topic is going to be presented by me. I uh, know that you're delving deeper into. The writing world these days, yeah. JD. Uh, my question is: as a, I'm a fellow wordsmith. I've been a writer yeah, uh, frequently over the years. Here, it's been a while, but mm-hmm. uh, I do enjoy writing. I'm curious if you have any food literary inspirations, like chef writers you really relate to, um, that are are writers that you really admire.
2: Oh yeah, like the um, first and foremost is Jim Harrison. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's one of us. You know, he grew up in the UP. Um, you know, he always, like he knew at a very early age that, you know, he wanted to be an artist, but he also felt like he couldn't be the kind of artist that he wanted to be, uh, living in the UP. So like he lived in New York for a while and he traveled a little bit, but he was just a 'er ne'er-do-well who never made any money. And, uh, he fell in love with a woman very early. They had kids and he just lived this hard scrabble existence. I mean, like while he was trying to learn how to write he literally like dug ditches and you know built walls as a mason, you know, a uh, bricklayer. And eventually people caught on and he published a book of poetry and he got sent out uh he got hired at Stony Brook College to be uh, uh to be a teacher out there and he hated academia. He like he he met a lot of really cool people but he couldn't stand like he couldn't stand the politics. He couldn't stand the pettiness of it. And he just, he didn't think that it was conducive to being a true artist. So he moved back and like, you know, and, and essentially impoverished his family, you know, while they let him live out his dream. And then uh, one year he writes a novel and then he writes another novel and he writes a couple other novels and he writes this novella called legends of the fall mm-hmm. in the late 1970s. And David Lean, the director who uh who did Lawrence of Arabia and as far you know, and many other masterpieces, bought the rights to it because he thought it was so genius and he had a vision for it. And just like Hollywood works, it changed hands a bunch of times and eventually Jim Harrison got paid very well for that and he did a lot of screenwriting in Hollywood. And because of that, he was exposed to a lot of different kinds of food. He was exposed to, you know, like all the, like, just like all of us, like all the places that he'd read about his whole life, he finally got to travel to those places working in Hollywood. He tried, he finally got to like drink the wines and eat the food. And he became, you know, the term you used earlier, like a true bon vivant, you know, like, and I, I just admire the fact that he always kept his like living out in the woods, you know, you know living in the sticks perspective on everything he ever did and the thing I love about him the most is that you know he writes these incredibly deep you know soul-rending films and novels but he said that every time he wrote one of those he would either take a road trip or he would write a comic novel afterwards so if anyone out there isn't familiar with uh with Jim Harrison um, and you wanna and, and you love where we live, you love the north country and you love being outside, do a favor, go to your local bookstore or uh, uh you know, or or get on a local bookstore and ask them to order you a copy of Brown Dog by Jim Harrison. It's a series of I think seven novellas that he wrote.
0: I've also not read that, so oh, dude, I got a new reading project.
2: It's essentially about a guy who lives in the UP who doesn't wanna have steady employment and just wants to spend most of his time fishing. And uh, and getting it on with with hot ladies, and <laughs> and every once in a while, you know, doing a couple of shots of schnapps. There's worse pursuits so, in life for sure. Right, precisely. But the to answer your question the other way, the other the other person I was going to mention is uh, amazing guy named John Thorne. Uh, he wrote an amazing book called Outlaw Cook, which is a series of essays um, that I just I I remember. I found this book in a stack of like discarded cookbooks in a restaurant I worked at in Saint Paul years ago in my first chef position, and I took it home and like within it, it, there was, I think there was an essay called the Meatball Manifesto, and I also a
0: sweet punk band name he, totally Are you yeah. kidding me
2: yeah uh, but I think I got like I don't know three sentences into it I'm like oh this is my guy I'm I want to know so he. <laughs> He tells, a, he tells an amazing story about how pre-Russian revolution, there was a guy who was involved in revolutionary activities in the czarist era, you know, this 19-year-old college student or whatever. And he gets busted and he gets hauled in front of the court and he knows he's going to be, you know, executed. And uh, they pronounce his, his death sentence. And he's like, what difference does that make to me? That means I just eat a few, a few fewer thousand meatballs in my life. <laughs> because that's like that was poor people's food That's yep. like, and that's the manifesto that he writes about he essentially oh. it's like you know like it's become this elevated you know crafty thing and it's like it was literally survival food yep. and I love that take
0: Minced meat scraps put together Precisely. in a sauce so that you don't have to taste
2: yep and, and that's the thing is like John Thorne wasn't a chef. He wasn't, he was just someone who really liked food and liked where it came from. And he would find recipes and try them out. I think he and his wife lived up in some little community in Maine, if I remember correctly. And so he like, he was one of the first, like you remember zines of course. Yeah. Like he was one of the first food zine. Guys. Oh, that's awesome. And he did it when he was like 50, 60 years old, you know, in, in the early 1970s, that's you know, so he, he's just like, this is, he goes, oh, well, you know, I can't get anybody to publish the shit that I want to write about. So I'm just going to do it myself and pass it out to my friends.
1: That's so awesome. What about you, Charles? Well, my obvious answer, which I'm sure many people would answer, is Tony Bourdain, of yeah. course, for, the, for creative writing. That's, it's an obvious answer, but it's a good answer. I, I still
0: remember. I, I think obvious is okay when you just have somebody oh, that, yeah. that found a way to touch a nerve that we've all expressed. Certainly. Like that was another, just like I was talking about with Pearl Jam, that was the first time that I read anything. When I read that essay that ended up getting in his book deal, that was the first time that I ever thought somebody actually on the inside was talking about it. I'd only read highfalutin chefs talking about the finer end of cuisine. He was like, fuck that. Let's go do some drugs and get
1: wild. And I was like, well, you can, you can say that? There's a reason right. that Bourdain was originally celebrated for his writing, and it's because he's a very talented writer. He's yeah. written TV shows. I remember first reading Medium Raw, and it was when it originally came out, and just being totally fascinated by the first chapter That's I believe is the first chapter about them eating the Ortolan.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I was yep. just
1: like, is this real? Right. And sort of that, that overtook... The culture of people who are reading that book, like people trying to understand if that was a real scenario and who the other chefs were that didn't want their faces to be seen. And, you know, the whole... If if people aren't familiar with the Ortolan, it's this small French bird that is a delicacy and it's an endangered species. And uh, these underground dinner clubs uh, supposedly enjoy the birds even to this day. And you're supposed to put your napkin all the way over your head so that so people, so God, what is
2: God can't see you eating it? Yeah. So,
1: God, yeah. so God won't strike you down for eating this, this poor little birdie.
2: <laughs> well, and the the thing about that, uh, that I love about that so much is that, you know, the, the two of you who love music as much as I do, like think about, okay, so that was his, that was his second endeavor, right? Medium raw.
1: Yes. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cook's, Cook's tour of...
2: came out. Cook's tour came out after kitchen confidential yeah then medium correct. raw was like the first one where he was kind of calling the shots because i think that cook's tour was okay. like his you know contractual obligation yep. book you know when he was on food network
1: but medium raw like yeah Cook's Tour was well before then right
2: so he i love the idea that that's the essay that he starts it up that was his set list you know, right. like think about like all those essays that he had access to that he'd already written. Like no. that's how he's he's starting his, his own show. Side one, you know, track one, this is we're gonna know, peel some stuff. This is my first solo show with yeah. my with my new band, and we're starting off with this one and I Comes love right that out with a his flying statement. It's like you thought you didn't like me before. Yeah. If if you were one of those touch feely people, you know, this is this is how I'm coming out of the game. If you're mad
0: about the Sunday fish special essay. Right. <laughs> wait for this. <laughs> I uh I think like just to bring a, a, a third layer into that, I think that's where Michael Twitty I've I just finished his yeah. book, The Cooking Gene. Yep. And I think that's what I love about that is that he is an incredible chef, but it really has nothing to do with that. It's him tracing his lineage through the food yes. that his ancestors created. Yep. And to me that is such a beautiful way of looking at food and what we're doing. Like it's a reminder that everything that we make nice. It's a reminder that everything that we make and that we enjoy comes from someone else. And a lot of times those cuts came from the poorest people in that society at the time who had to find a way to make lesser cuts of meat or lesser vegetables or quality of food had to make it taste good. And precisely, if you look at everything that I love, probably 90% of it has roots in that. And I think that is also such a beautiful thing.
2: Of course it is. I mean, and and again, like that's, that's one of the things that I love so much about you know the vocation that I've chosen to pursue the 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 reason that you and I met, you know, the hospitality industry, no one in it is the same. there's there's no uniform approach to the way things are done. I mean like you know I read I read a lot about military history and I read a lot about people who have had experiences in combat, and you know, even in the military, there are usually two certain types there are people who feel they, they join the military because they feel like they don't have any other option because they live in you know a very impoverished area for one way or another or there are people who decide that that's what they're going to be their whole life and they pursue it you know they go to officer candidate school they go to West Point they go to you know all of these military academies you know th- there's very little in between with them but you know they all find a way to do it together whereas we are in our vocation, in the hospitality community, we are the embodiment of the thing—the phrase that I love most about America: "E pluribus unum." Out of many, we are one. Mm-hmm.
0: That is, there is not really much of a better toast for three people than uh, "Out of many,
1: cheers, guys." We are one. What are we on? Number four.
0: Yep.
2: This is fun. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, you want to go again? Uh, yeah, I do believe I am. I believe we up to are bat again. kicking
0: around an idea of alternative names, gnome to plumes.
1: Yeah, names. so <laughs> this next question <laughs> is what's your favorite nickname you've ever had or a nickname you've given someone else? And you also do have to clarify whether you gave yourself the nickname, which is a sin, but we've I, yeah, all done I'm, I'm it. I'm a big, you can't right. give yourself a nickname. <laughs> we've all done it, especially when we're children. Uh, for sure.
2: Yeah, you try. But oh, you're asking me. Do I, yes. I start yeah. first? Okay. Um, I, you know, I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you. I've never really liked nicknames because they usually come from a place of animosity. Um, you know, there's that animosity endearment thing that usually ends up being part of it. But like, uh, there's a certain restaurant culture, like especially kitchen culture here in town, there's a, a kitchen culture family that essentially, like if you became part of it, you had to wait for your nickname and everyone who worked in the kitchen got their nickname. And it was like designated by the chef or the sous chef. And that's essentially who they became. Um, and I just, you know, like I said, I, I, I never really, just like, I don't like, uh, don't take this the wrong way. Give it um, to me. But I really don't like, uh, hidden social media handles. Mm you know like it's 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 a cb handle that's cool. Yeah. I dig that in a lot of ways, but I think too many people use it to hide. Um I agree. And like I said, I I I feel like a lot of nicknames have usually come from places of, you know, abuse, even if that abuse is a little genial. But uh when I worked at Chino Latino, um we I, I was I was the youngest guy in the management team and I was the only one who like who came to the like cause there were five sous chefs. I was one of five sous chefs who got hired at that time. That was my first management job ever in 1999. And uh um because my previous job had been at Cafe Undetroit, I was deemed the nickname Frenchie. <laughs> and I I loved I loved the fact that my my German and Irish ancestors would have rolled in their Absolutely. fucking graves. That's what that's like serious? an English
1: gangster nickname. Right, exactly. Hey, I'm a guy Ritchie movie. Oh,
0: yeah, no, totally. It's a yeah,
2: <laughs> totally. Cue <laughs> so, up some
0: like seventies British well, soul music or something. That's crack. a that's right. a good nickname. That's
2: and awesome. the and the only one the only one who really used it, and I like I this guy is so near and dear to my heart. Art Eng is, you know, NG was his last name. Art Eng. Yeah. Um Art was born in communist China. His grandmother actually smuggled him out of the country on her back in like a a false backpack, took him to relatives in Hong Kong where he grew up until he was, I think, five or six. Wow. Came over to the States and he worked for his family's restaurant down in uh, uh, Shakopee. Um, And he learned everything about Chinese food. He ran the hot food program at... uh, 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 origami downtown for years and it was just so funny because you know art knew everything like he like anything that had anything to do with asian food he knew all about it and he could make it and like whether the materials were in the house or not he was one of those guys who could put it together and make it happen and so we we ended up calling him dr sauce (laughs) <laughs> so that's an doc, amazing nickname that's right another good so one dr. i want to be called so, dr. so dr sauce would always say, oh hey Frenchie, Frenchie's here today you know like hey what, what's what are we gonna make today and uh but i just I, I just i still associate that and it and that's the thing is like it never it never left that kitchen you know like but i i loved that i earned that from him and he called it he called me that as a term of affection for you know, the two years that we worked together. So it
1: did come a place of endearment,
2: right? Yeah. It wasn't one of the other ones. You know what I mean? Like, you know, <clears throat> I've never heard anybody call you a nickname.
1: Call me a nickname? Yeah. So I have a lot of nicknames, actually. <laughs> Do tell. Probably Ooh. the nickname I've been called the most was one I was given in high school by my buddy Baker, and it's Charlie Hustle, which is Mom Pete Rose's Pete Rose. nickname. But yep. Nobody knew that when I was a teenager. They just thought I had the coolest fucking nickname in town. But I'd always clarify, like, yeah, that's Pete Rose's nickname. Why is it Pete Rose's nickname? Well, yeah, because he hustles as hard as he can to first base. Even if he gets a walk, he runs as hard as he can to first base. So that was, uh, that's probably my most popular nickname. I did christen myself a nickname when I was a child. I wanted people to call me Chaz. You know, I was, oh, I was raised in the 80s and 90s, so of course I wanted to have Spike <laughs> Aaron be called fucking Chaz.
0: I think everybody tries to make a spin on their, like... First name at some point in their lives.
1: Yeah, it took me a little bit to love Charles, but I liked Charles way more than Charlie or Chuck. I am neither of those. But when I was a kid, I thought Chaz sounded like a fucking guest character on Saved by the Bell. Yeah.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> so I was oh. like, I'm Chaz. Call me
1: Chaz.
0: Oh, man, Chaz is like,
2: the coolest. That's yep. totally the name of a Jeremy Piven character. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you Younger
0: know. Jeremy Piven. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now he would be Charles. You? Uh, well, communist Quaminist is probably the most popular, but that doesn't count because I gave it to myself. My roommate okay. at the time. You was... only
1: have 400 nicknames predicated <laughs> yeah, right. on your last Yeah, exactly.
0: Name. Viet Quang, uh, like, it, Quam, Quam, uh, like the Quaminator. Quamulator, all of those have been around. Quam forever. and get it? Yeah.
1: I sent you a whole list one time when I was drunk. I was that. like, I think I could be more creative than anybody because I give people secret nicknames, which I've told oh, you as man. well. Sid- I give everybody secret nicknames. Sydney Thank
0: Meyer you. went nuts one night. It was super slow at work and she texted me like 25 different <laughs> spins on my name. Um, but yeah, it was the, the only one that I can think of right now that wasn't based on what my name is now was uh, <laughs> uh, I had a... a an Ecuadorian cook at a restaurant that I worked at years ago. Um, and English was real tough for him. He sure. honestly was super social, but he just had no interest in learning another language, but he would figure out a few words. And, um,
2: and God he, bless him for that.
0: Absolutely, man. He was literally, he was one of the best line cooks I've ever seen in my life and just did his thing and bounced, but Fuck he Whitey. got really obsessed <laughs> with, um, with Fiji water when it first came out. Yeah. I thought it was the best tasting water. Oh, you oh, ever yeah. have. So he'd come out and he could never remember my name. Like I was, I was pretty new at that point and he was snapping, trying to come up with his, the name and he just goes, ah, King Kong. And I was like, what? And he goes, King Kong, uh, Fiji, Fiji, King Kong, Fiji. <laughs> and I was like, hold on first. Are you looking for a Fiji water? And he goes, See, si. I'm like, did you just call me King Kong? And he goes, See, si. King Kong. Alta. Okay. King Kong. He goes, King Kong. Mas, alta, mas grande. <laughs> okay. King Kong. Okay. <laughs> I was like, all right. Every time he would say it, I knew he was razzing me, but every time he'd say it, it made me so happy.
1: Just King Kong. Hey, King Kong. That's actually... Real quick, just because it's directly correlative to that. When I worked at Camarchex in college, there were Ecuadorian chefs that worked the kitchen, total fucking studs. They just knocked out all the food there. Excellent, authentic East European food made by these guys. Oh, yeah. And there was this little dude, this little chef there who nicknamed me Carlitos oh, every time awesome. you see me go Carlitos yeah. that's actually my Netflix name yeah, on, dude, on our, our Netflix at home yeah I love that nickname
2: <laughs> when I was at uh, uh again when I was at Chino Latino like so the thing I loved most about working with Art Chef Art was he ran the team during the day and so here's this Cantonese dude immigrant you know first generation immigrant to the United States Who is in charge of an entire fleet of i'm i'm talking like a dozen because i mean this is a 400 seat restaurant a dozen four and a half foot tall ecuadorian women and so there's also there's already like an alpha and beta female thing going on with that team and then she has to contend with art trying to tell the rest of them what to do and she's essentially like no just just give me the list man i'll i'll delegate everything all right just stop stop trying to pretend you're the boss. I'm, I'm, yeah, running shit here. I'm the real so, boss. So then I would come in like my shift was usually uh, uh, uh 10 to eight. And so I'd come in at 10 and I'd, you know, I'd get in my creative mode and I'd like, you know, Oh, I'm going to do the fish special today and I'm going to do something from North Africa. And I'd, you know, set up my cutting board and I'd be right next to the sink and I'd be working next to these ladies. And, you know, for those of you who don't know me, um, I sprout a lot of shit. On my on my body, and so I have all this blonde hair on my arms, and like l- they'd literally pet me <laughs> and call me Changuito, oh, little mon- little awesome. monkey. So that's instead so of King crazy. Kong, yep. I got little monkey.
0: <laughs> Carlito, <laughs> so, dude, that's perfect. <laughs> Right. The other, this just occurred to me on the other end of the spectrum. My other favorite nickname that I've ever been given was only called to me by one person. And even that only lasted about six months. But there was uh, like 10, 15, 15, God, we're old. 15 years ago, uh, the city tried to close down all the strip clubs. It was like a Minneapolis ordinance that they were going to try and shut them all down. And we really thought it was going to pass. So a bunch of the guys from work and I decided that we were, we had one friend that was sober and he was like, hey, I'll drive. If you guys pay my way in everywhere, let's go do a tour of all. We went to Skyway Lounge, BJ's, like all the really trashy, shitty ones. I've been on the world tour uh, many years ago. uh, There we go. So we were walking into uh, BJ's and I realized that my friend Josh was uh, light years ahead of the rest of us in drinking. And you know, like that moment where your friend's eyes don't line up anymore, like yeah. that one pupil's kind of down a little bit and the other one's up a little bit.
1: He's in another universe. Yeah.
0: And uh, I was laughing and he goes, what's so funny? I'm like, I kind of want to <laughs> just start calling you white noise right now.
1: Oh, <laughs> and fuck. he goes,
0: he goes, what do you mean? I go, literally, I'm looking at you right now. And the only thing I can picture your brain doing is just that static sound that used to come mm-hmm. on old TVs. Then he goes, all right. And then we walked like four more steps and he turns around and he goes, I'm going to call you Ash Wednesday.
1: And <laughs> I, go, I go. Why are you going to call me Ash from? Wednesday? Yeah. And he
0: goes, you give me one reason not to. I couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> and so for six months, every Reasonable time he would text me, he'd be like, yo, Ash Wednesday or yo, AW, what up? Like, when are we going to hook up? And he doesn't remember doing it. He texted himself a note in his phone. To call you Ash Wednesday. That said, Ben is Ash Wednesday. And he
1: never really understood why. There was no reason.
0: As far as I know, there was no reason. But in that moment, it was the most real thing in his world. Mm -hmm. And he just had to go with it. So it's... It's a thing from one guy, from Josh Knudsen. Oh, God. I love
1: you to death. Thank you for that nickname.
2: God, God bless him.
1: Yes. <laughs> so JD, one more thing coming around the band. I also yeah. had a, a monkey nickname from my mom when I was a kid because I had a tendency to climb things and bust my head. So she called me Sadin, which is Arabic for monkey. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, get down from there, Sadin. Charles, it's like we're the Just same. To a barrel yeah. of monkeys. Last <laughs> friends. We're,
2: we're both bearded and bald, and yeah. we've you know, both been called monkeys. Guys so. With <laughs> beards and
1: shaved heads. <laughs>
2: Ah. Okay, before before next topic, I need to throw in a segue, um, and it directly correlates to the story you just told. So I'm on a, um, I'm on a boat with my friend Justin uh, and a bunch of a uh, bunch of other friends. The other day, we're on the Saint Croix River, and everyone's busting out whatever they want to drink. And uh, eventually, those those uh, those hard seltzers come out, and. Justin says, have you guys heard about what somebody said the other day about, you know, like the, uh, the hard seltzer thing. I said, no. And I, I don't know if it was a stand up comedian. I don't know if it was a friend of theirs, but he was like, you know, somebody said it's like drinking TV static while someone shouts the name of a fruit from another room. Oh my God. That's legit. <laughs> that's legit. Oh my God. I love that. Oh, that's so great.
1: I love that for all the best reasons. Right. That is so good.
0: <laughs> um, when I was when I was twenty, uh, I dated a girl from Germany. Grapefruit. Sorry, I had to. Yeah. Do <laughs> <Right>. oh, <laughs> did, did you get it? Did you get it's it? Live, live. Sh- Grapefruit. <laughs> the uh, she she sp- 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 she spoke five languages fluently. Sure. Like she was so smart. But it was so funny because she was so good at all of them that you would forget sometimes that she didn't grow up speaking that language. So she would stumble on like really. Like normal things that just wouldn't have ever come up in conversation, and we were talking. I I had kind of just gotten into like seltzers and soda waters, and she was trying to remember that word and she couldn't come up with it. And she was like, uh, um, "Sand water, The, the the sand water." And I'm like, "Oh, soda water." She was "Yeah, it's like it's like there's sand circulating in the water." Yeah, and I was like, "Holy shit!" That's, I, was, I always think it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah,
2: I was excited. That's, that's, she's right. Yep. Yep. So, totally not to a nice one. one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Also an incredible poet in multiple languages. I wonder what she's doing. She's probably right. doing
1: some cool shit. All right, Guam, take a swing. Oh,
0: yeah. It's probably me. So uh, I'm a huge fan of what I like to call recreational science fiction. Uh, and I like to think about if we had the ability to slip between dimensions and times and all that, like, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And... One thing that I was interested because I did know of kind of like how you grew up in in Winona and skateboarding. And then when you first came up here, if you could go back in time and you could say it's 14, 16, 18, 21. Right. If you could go back in time and you could hang out for one dinner with yourself at that age, what would you say to you back then? And do you think you back then would ask you anything? And if so, like, what would it be? I just want to oh. remark
1: that I think we have to get a theremin for this podcast <laughs> with <when laughs> your tendency, with Quam's tendency to ask
2: sci-fi. You know that Angelo from uh, from Fishbone was, like, obsessed with the theremin? Oh, really? It, yeah. Oh, God. Like, it, it almost broke up the band. Oh, Seriously. were like, and, only, and, and this is how bad it was. There were only two original members left. So, like... <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> like, that that's it. Seriously, that's like, enough. <laughs> I we play funk and we play metal and we play fun rock and roll. Theremin doesn't belong.
1: <laughs> Thirty minute theremin solo. No, but like, man, it does.
2: Like, oh, like I, I mean, I just I love Angelo so much. I can like just that. Like, it's so indicative of his personality. Absolutely. But uh, to answer your question, well my wife will be the first person to remind you that I don't like being told what to do. (laughs) Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I, it's funny that you say that because I, I do look at myself physically a lot and you know, I I think Jesus Christ, you know, 16 year old me would be like, dad, can I have the key to the gun cabinet? You know, like I want to kill that guy right now. (laughs) Like, Like that's, I will never be, um, But I, but I do like, I, I think that if I could meet, if I could meet my like 17 year old self, like my senior year of high school Mm -hmm. self, um, I would remind him, actually we can probably bring this a little full circle. I would remind him that remember how these kinds of music make, made you feel. And how all of the things that you've discovered through film and through visual art and through music let you know that there was this huge skylight into a a bright and beautiful world that you can be a part of. Well, you're already a part of that world. Like, you don't have to earn your way into it. You know, just by just by the fact that you want to be part of it, you're already in the club. Like, you've already done that work to get there. And get rid of all the stuff that everybody ever made you feel about who you are. Um, you know, the 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 darkness that I dealt with when I was talking about earlier, you know, as well, you know, in those really early teenage years, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever get rid of it. Because you always feel like there's something chasing you, and every once in a while, when you're in your, your deep dark aspects of your life, you know it, it tackles you and like claws at you, you know, inside out, really. And to let you, to let that kid know, to let that 17 year old kid know that he already has the strength to, to beat all those things, you know. Uh, I've you know, when I was that age, what I wanted to do with my life was uh, I wanted to be a combat correspondent. I wanted to be a, a war correspondent. I wanted to be a journalist. And one of my, uh, one of the people who I discovered later on in life who actually went ahead and did that was a woman named Kira Salak. Absolutely. And she wrote a book called The White Mary. And she, in that book, she's trying to find one of her mentors and she's going through the jungles, I believe, in New Guinea and she's got a guide, and they eventually start a conversation, and she talks about how she thinks that the guy that she's going to find is going to help her get rid of her demons, And her guide tells her, "Let me tell you something about your demons, as bad as they make you feel they are never stronger than you are.": Yep. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And so if I could go back to 17-year-old J.D. Frotsky and went on to Minnesota and let him know that. Look, you've you've already got it, man. You know, just don't don't let people treat you that way anymore. Don't let people get to you that way anymore.
0: What do you think you would say back to that?
2: I Fuck think, you, old man. No, no, I don't. I, I think that I think that at that point in my life, I think that at that point in my life, I needed that friend. Yeah, I needed that person to tell me that. If it had come any earlier, I would have left it. A, left it alone because I had plenty more ahead of that and I think if it had come any later I would have thought that I was already on that path when I really wasn't I wasn't even close man
1: what about you I can relate to a lot of those elements I would say I'll keep it concise too but I'd say that if I could go back to my 13 year old self who had dealt with some trauma and things in my childhood I would tell him to not be angry for as long as he's about to be, because I was yeah. angry for a long time. That was a both. lot of like lost time. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a, and it's wasted time, yeah. like the time that I yeah. spent like being angry and and you know getting into Donnie Brooks and just drinking too much and and being a fool and you know having my little brother come pick me up from parties and things of that nature. I kind of mitigated that. I'm I'm proud of who I am today, and those all those experiences are formative. But if I could tell 13-year-old me, hey, I know you've been through some some filth and mire, but things are going to get better. You don't have to be mad for as long. You can be mad, yep. but don't be mad as frequently as you're going to be. Don't mad. revel in it. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, do you guys did do you guys remember uh the movie Rumblefish with Mickey Rourke? Of yes. Back in the day? All right. God, I just I I thought that was I thought that was it. I thought that was like that was the guy you should be. Like, yeah. you know, someone who, like, leaves their hometown, disappears for a long time, does a bunch of really, really cool, crazy shit, but is super calm, calls people out on what they do, but is never a dick about it, is super calm about it. You know, like...
0: It's so hard to remember that, it, that's, that that's what Mickey Rourke was when you, like, see Mickey Rourke now. Oh, right, right.
2: Like, it's, like, it's hard he to was, be like, he was, he was, was amazing. The, he was the next Brando, man. Absolutely. I mean, he was, you know, and, and what's funny about that is it was okay, well, it's it's more than just a few years ago now because my daughter's 15, but when <laughs> when she was first learning to read on her own, she loved The Outsiders. Like, you know, I, yeah. she read The Outsiders and we watched the movie several times and I was like, well, if you like The Outsiders, you're probably going to like Rumblefish. And so we watched Rumblefish together and watching it at the age of, God, I want to say like 41, 42, because I'm 47 now, um... I just remember it again, like hitting me like a ton of bricks. Like he is as self, he is as self-destructive as I was, as I wanted to be, as any, you know, anybody that I've talked to these issues about was like, he, he knew that he kept, despite how cool he was and how much he learned and how cool I thought that guy was at the end of the day, he wanted somebody to take him out. Being a young man is complex. Yep. Yeah, learning
1: to handle your emotions. Yeah, well. and and obviously societally, we could use better tools for that too. Like I wish, I wish we had some, we had greater resources. Like in the eighties and nineties, I wish right? we had some of the words
0: we have now. I didn't right. have a name for any of the shit that I was going through, and that's why. Yeah, Ben, my, that's fantastic. Point. My answer yeah. would have to be seventeen, because literally mm-hmm. thirteen or fourteen, I I wouldn't have listened. I would have said fuck yeah. you old man, get out of here. Because yeah. I, I just, well, I was and, so and how angry many times? I,
2: how many times at that age did you have somebody try to have that kind of conversation I mean, with you? Especially with your with your anger? Because I had those same anger issues too.
0: It was, for me, it was people would try and pretend like they knew what I was going through. Right. And I didn't even have the words to explain why I couldn't get shit right in my head because I, I hadn't been given the vocabulary. And things right. are really scary when they don't have a name. When you can figure out, mm-hmm. when you can articulate what it is, I think it's a lot more, it's a lot more manageable, I guess, if you will. Right. So for me, like 17 was when I had a path laid out. It was paved. It was where I was oh, yeah. going. <clears throat> and my 2021 20, 22 was the darkest point of my life because I watched that path vanish in front of me because I had put all of my eggs in a singular basket thinking this was what was going to make me happy. And it wasn't. And what I would love to go back and tell myself is, you're going down a path that's not going to end where you want it to be, mm-hmm. and that's fine. That's the best part about life. Like every kid, every one of my so, friends you, would, that has so kids you wouldn't right now,
1: change it. You would just want to be better informed. I, I
0: would. I just I I put so much undue stress and drama, Bell. I put so much undue stress and drama on myself because I thought. Because my vision wasn't working out that I was failing everyone around me who had believed in me and therefore everything was wrong. And then the the best part would be, because again, 17 year old me would be like, I don't believe you. Bullshit. Like whatever. And then I would tell myself all the cool shit that I've been able to do right. since I let that go. And that to me is what would get me around.
1: So you have no regrets. I but... have plenty of regrets. But <laughs> nope, the regrets. No, <laughs> Not even a letter? The
0: regrets got me to where I am. Like, I can't, I can't, I don't end up with, my wife Jenny is one of the most amazing humans that I've ever met, period. And the fact that she chose to marry me is amazing. I don't meet her if I don't make that run. Yeah, and that's, to me, that's it. Like, the life that I thought I wanted, I would have been miserable. I would have had a a midlife crisis. I would have train wrecked everything. Because I didn't realize how much I hated being penned in. Until I was outside of the pen, looking back at it.
2: Oh my God! Like I, th- I think about that all the time. Like you know, it, you know, when when I when I gave a shot at rock and roll when I was in my that that same time period, you know, between the ages of you know twenty and twenty three or whenever it was, you know, like if if our band had clicked, like it, even if we would have, you know, gone on that, gotten signed by Amrep or or anybody and, and gone on that like limited tour. I would have been a miserable son of a bitch. I would have alienated all of these people who, like two of whom especially are are still a very, very important part of my life. Like I just, I didn't have the tools then. And at at the same time, like Ben, when you talk about, when you talk about older, older folks trying to have a conversation with you, at that time and then telling them, you know, you don't have any fucking idea what I've been. I, th- I think some of those emotions are universal though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you, you and I and Charles being unable to recognize that at a certain time in our life, um, is part of that journey is, is part of that. I mean, is just, it's part of that formula.
0: Recognizing that you now see what you didn't see previous is the only thing that gives us the vision that we have. now.
2: Precisely. Cheers to that! Fuck yeah!
0: Here yep. we go, mezcal,
1: bitches. To the future, sixth and final shot. <clears throat> yep. The final bell. <laughs> Beep. Full of baba ganoush and booze.
0: <laughs> baba ganoush booze.
1: Uh, all right. So this
0: last question, when we when you first said yes to coming on, this was the first question that I thought of. <laughs> Originally, I was going to try and end it with a funny um, uh, Mary fuck kill onion it. onion shallot leak which I still want to know what your answer would be to that. But then I took a step back and one of the reasons that I've always loved coming to places that you made food is you can see a little bit of you in what that menu is. When you would put the specials up, do you remember when you used to handwrite the specials at strip club? Yeah. yeah. You would take a picture of it and you would put it up that day. Yeah. That was a reflection. I I was just getting too.
1: What's that? I remember that too. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. You
0: wrote them, but that was, that was a reflection. That was me getting to know you honestly. I would read those every single time knowing most of the time Jenny and I weren't going to be able to drive to the other side of St. Paul for dinner. But I got to know who you were a little bit through reading what you were putting out. And some of it was me imagining things because I really didn't know you that well Well, at all. But it was like whenever you get a window into what somebody's brain is doing, I'm fascinated with that and I want to pull up the thread. So now leaping forward all these years later where we really have gotten to know each other super well, a question I've never asked you is and Charles and I have talked about this a little bit too one of the things that we first bonded on was our love of cooking and it's the same action but it means wildly different things to all of us so for me cooking is zen cooking is where my brain gets to turn off and I'll put a record on and most of the time I'm paying attention to the record and whatever part of my brain podcast has... podcast. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I right. put on a podcast libations libations for everyone. everyone. <laughs> Subscribe, like right. review. I listen to myself like Kanye listens to his own beats. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh, but that's what it is to me. But I've talked to people that thought they loved the mathematics of it. I've talked to people that loved, they were making art. I talked to people that really thought they were putting a piece of their heart into that, and i'm serving the love that I have inside of me, which is something that I definitely also identified with. but like for you, when you're on a line, not you could say if you're at home too, we could just look at it at home or if you're in a restaurant when you 're cooking what category does it fall into in your in your brain
2: or in your soul all of the above all of the above cool. <laughs> i mean like no shit i mean it i I don't know like i what about today? Like, can we square it like that?
1: Like, what's your yeah. relationship with cooking today? Like right
0: now when you're cooking for Lisa and Nina.
2: Okay. That, that's, that's very different. You know, and, and that's actually, that's a larger amount of pressure than I've actually felt in a long time. I mean, you'd be surprised, but, you know, they, they want to eat what they want to eat, you know? Like, and I, I can't just, I, I can't offer my personality to them because- And they're honest. Well, because they already have my personality Like, they, they don't give a fuck what I want to express that day They want something that tastes good to both of them yeah. You know, and and... You know, and and quite frankly, their tastes are very different. Nina's a 15-year-old girl. She eats a lot like I did when I was 15. You know, like my mom used to call me the carbohydrate kid. You know, like if, if you know... If <laughs> I another could have, nickname. Yeah, if I could have... Yeah, there you go. Right, Charles? <laughs> I mean, like... I mean, it was like, you know, saltines and butter and maybe a little summer sausage and a whole bunch of mac and cheese. You know, like it, it wasn't that I didn't like vegetables. It was just that that's what I gravitated toward. Um, But, you know, cooking for Lisa and Nina is is actually probably more zen in the study that I've done because I do have to truly focus on what I am doing and how it tastes and and the fact that neither of them like salt very much. And, you know, they're not about getting punched in the face with flavors the way that cooking is in a restaurant. You know, like, you know, it's... God, like, strip club especially. When I was the exec chef there working saute station next to my sous chef, Jake D God bless you, man. I love you so much. I will, I don't know that I will ever feel like I was more meant to do something in my life than I did when I was cooking next to Jake and, and Katie Ryan and, and Phil Ward and all those guys on that line, because we all loved the same music and, and it was Just those nights where you would just rock out and you're singing and, and everything that comes in, you know exactly how to cook. And if it's this, it's that. And one of the things I love about cooking so much is that you, you can cook, you can cook, uh, 25 pieces of duck breast. You can cook 25 duck breasts all night and every one of those duck breasts is going to react differently in the pan. You know, it's going to, it's going to react differently to the shitty stove that I had to work on at, at strip club, you know,
0: <laughs> four of the nozzles for the natural gas are yeah, plugged.
2: Yeah. you like, you know, like seriously, like, you know, all of that stuff comes together and like, that is a, it's tactical awareness, you know, it's, it's almost military, you know? And, and again, like that's one of the, when I was a kid, I was really interested in stuff like that. Like if I didn't become a war correspondent, my honestly, the Marines was my other option. I was seriously thinking about that when I was 17 years old. But when it, when it comes to cooking, like like you were talking about early, Charles, like I was a really, really angry dude too. And I have a reputation with a lot of people who work with me that I have a very short temper on the line, and I don't put up with a lot of bullshit, and I don't like dealing with people who want to engineer their own menu when they come into my restaurant, you know, and, and that has everything to do with me. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me. And so I have to keep reminding myself. That's the reason I got this tattoo. The The tattoo on my left forearm is there for a reason. It's one of the Buddhas from Bora Badur in Java. And that's another long story we can get into later, but he is, he is putting up the Abhaya mudra, which is the no fear mudra. And he, He's putting that, like, I have that tattoo on my left arm for a couple of different reasons. And, and the main reason is because that's my saute pen and because I always have to look at it. I can't, I can't hide that arm because I have my spoon and my tongs in my right hand. So I can't hold my left hand. The, the Buddha always has to remind me that I have to be serene. I have to be calm. I have to be in control. I have to be zen. I have to be, I have to pursue the path of the Buddha. And the abaya mudra is also. I have to not be afraid of how I confront injustice. So if I feel someone is doing an injustice to food, that's beautiful. I kind of have to call it out.
1: So if I can interpret the two <laughs> the two versions of yourself, one is at, at its best. You feel like you're in a garage band where the amps don't really work that well. You're not perfectly tuned, but you're having the time of your life. But it's also trying baby. to catch a yeah. rhythm. Yeah. And the other end of the spectrum is either, I was going to say militaristic until you said that you try to find Zen. So it's like a football coach where you're trying to like get everyone to do what they need to do and to read the playbook without overbearing everybody.
2: Well, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not wrong at all, but there, but, but that's the thing about it. That also is the most fun is that since there's music blasting in the background you're never not reminded you're always reminded that what you're doing is a craft you know it, there's there's an art form in there somewhere sure but what you're doing is actually useful it's not just self-expression and that's the thing that is toughest for cooks to be reminded of time and time and time again is that look dude you can you can think you're a fucking artist you can think you're important toss that shit by the wayside i'm sorry what you're providing is nourishment you are putting thing you're you're giving human beings fuel that mother nature provided and while your creative process might have tweaked those ingredients in one way or another in order to give people that nourishment you have to remind yourself that you are just a link in a chain that's it that's it you're not that important and and that's why I had to get that tattoo because all these things come together for me. All the, all of them remind me that as heated as I get about the fact that Karen at table 17 really is trying to insist that she's allergic to garlic when she just doesn't want to fart later on that extra ranch, you know, (laughs) right. Um, she's a person and she's going to give me money and she's going to make the server who at that time usually was my wife, at that table, she will be nasty to her if I don't give her a good answer and give her the food that she wants that night. You know, it, it's... And, and yeah, I was
1: at French Laundry and heard a table full of women take turns saying that they were uh, going to be <laughs> gluten-free that night.
2: Yeah. Oh. So they, it can
1: happen. Yeah. Right. I know, like, one lady was like, I'm gluten-free. Uh, and they were like, great, anybody else? And the, the gal next to her said... You know what, I'm gluten free too. And then the gal next to you said, You know what, tonight I'm also gluten free. And I was like, Can I have their croissants? Can I have their gluten? Right. <laughs> Give me yeah. their gluten. And stuff.
2: then they all have the lemon cake for dessert. Yeah, exactly. you know, well, like- it's
0: it's more of a sensitivity. It can right. happen. Well, like, and obviously, like Charles, some of your plates that you put on Instagram outdo actual food Instagram pictures. Like you put flavors together fuck the bell, we're gonna keep going. <laughs> yeah. You put flavors together better than Almost anybody that I've ever seen that doesn't that hasn't had a long history of working at a restaurant, like where, where does that where does that where did that come from for you and what is that experience when you're doing it?
1: Well, I'm a creative director, and, yeah, and so I'm in the art world, uh, doing design and, and marketing and things of that nature, and it's one of my great passions. Going back to my childhood, my mom could make Lebanese food like nobody's business. But if she tried cooking a steak, she'd get ball tips and throw them in the oven at 350 for an hour, and they would just turn into little cups. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, wow, steak is the worst food on earth. I thought Americans <laughs> liked this shit. I mean, I was an American too, but we weren't going to steakhouses. We didn't. Right. We were of little means. But I got into food very early Mrs. on. This isn't shawarma. <laughs> watch, yeah. Watch plenty of PBS and learn how to cook. Like I, I taught myself to cook by cooking eggs when I was like seven. You know, Can I fry an egg? Can I scramble? Can I you know, make an omelet? And the first dish, composed dish I cooked for my family was fried rice. So I made like a traditional fried rice. I did use the seasoning packet. I was fucking nine. But uh, that that kind of led into food being like a massive passion of mine. It doesn't have to be a vocation for you to love it. But for me, I love cooking. It is my art therapy. If you're going to equate it to something, it's art therapy for me because I can be creative and nourished and it mm. makes me feel good. And compass- I love nothing it's, more than cooking for others.
2: It's compassionate expression, yep. you know? And, yeah. and that's, you know, and that's the thing that at the end of the day it is. And, and and that's one of the things that is probably caused me the most misery and consternation about the industry in which I've chosen to make a vocation. Like, you, like you just said, Charles is, is that the commerce is just noise. And if you're working with the right people, they can, and by, by I mean the right people, I'm, I'm kind of referring to the front of the house aspect. They, you can work as a team in the sense that they defend you from the pressure of just getting it the fuck out. But at the same time, like, there's no defense really against people who really don't appreciate what you're doing and look at you as a commodity. Um, and it's really hard. It's really, really hard to accept that. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever learn to not take that personally, but, and there, but, and I've worked next to, and I've been mentored by person, by people who, who do that really well. And I, I, I wish I could figure that out. But what
0: if, what if it isn't what if the problem isn't how we take it in? Like I can continue to accept and take things personally what if the problem is that I'm not processing it right? That's
2: what I mean. Like that's,
0: that's been my thing is that I've spent so long getting frustrated and angry when I feel like somebody's trying to diminish what I'm doing or where I'm at, or they assume that I'm stupid because I like to be the big, funny, like fat guy in social (laughs) situations every now and then they're like, wait, you're smart too. But the problem is not I I was projecting that, that the problem isn't that that was their thought. They were reflecting back to me. The problem is that I, I don't process it well. Like it gums up my machinery and then I'm stuck doing anything. And and all I can do is forward, backward, forward, backward on those gears because they can't rotate.
2: No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. That's where I have to figure out. I'm the I'm the same way, Ben. And I, and I'm, I'm still working on that. And, and that's actually, I mean, there are a lot of people who never, a lot of people in our vocation never change that. They just, they decide that they're going to be this way and they're going to be that kind of person. and, and they do or they don't, but I, I'm, I want to figure it out about myself. I want to get to that point where, you know, I'm super happy to accommodate people. Like, again, like there are so many people that I've worked with who have no problem whatsoever. There's a guy named Jared Ingebrigtsen, another Norwegian. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Um, the first time I ever worked on it food- on.
0: depends on the spelling. I'm just going to say it depends on the spelling could be Swedish.
2: <laughs> it's, we're, it's even though we're the exact
0: same country it's the or the exact same ethnicity it's it's all the same blood right there there are definitely I, I feel
2: you i feel you um yeah you you have you have far more mountains on your side um but no like the first time i ever worked on a food truck you know jared was the guy driving the boat and I'll, my job that day was just to drop fries essentially and, and help them out because I wanted to know how a food truck actually functioned. You know, I'd worked in all different kinds of restaurants and we were, we were at the Linden Hills farmer's market and all of these women kept coming up. Like, you know, we have, we literally had, I think, six things on the menu and there wasn't a single one of them that didn't get adjusted in one way or another. And Jared's immediate answer was, yeah, no problem. We can do that. Okay. Of course we can. And my blood was boiling. I'm like, how dare they treat you like that? You know, like we're here for you. You know, like, you know, like who else would be here if we weren't that kind of thing. And he, his immediate reaction was, of course we will. Yeah, we'll do that. I'll pick out the jalapenos from this thing that I already cooked in order to accommodate you. Like, I want to get to that point. Yeah. I I need, I personally need to get that to that point.
1: Let me throw a lasso on this and say, you've cooked probably thousands of (laughs) ribeyes. Do you still get joy from serving a ribeye to somebody? Because you're like the Rolling Stones and I'm like, what the fuck is up, Denny's? Because when I cook, it's like for friends and family. What the fuck is up, Denny's? But so you're cooking, you know, often you have to cook the same thing so many times. For me, like, I might make my my halibut over a plant cake with a primavera red sauce on it, like once a year, that's as repetitive as I get. But do you still find great joy when you produce a perfect ribeye and somebody rolls their eyes back and says, Oh my God, oh, does Christ that still yes. make you thrill? Oh,
2: are you kidding? Yeah. That, that's, that's awesome. A, that's what keeps me going. Fuck you yeah. Know, and Ben and I have had this conversation before, but you know, <laughs> So I remember.
0: Apologies, but the chainsaw that just walked by.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> Um,
1: we are at a Denny's.
2: Right. <laughs> Pretty sure there was a monoplane. Yeah, you <laughs> go. We just, they buzzed the tower. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can I call the ball? Um, but, uh, I, I, just, Ben and I were talking about this, I, I think probably at our, f- the first time you and I had coffee together, um, I remember reading when I was first starting to to get in, to get into cooking when I was working. I'm my pouring first... a bonus shot. We're going... Let's do it. Bonus <laughs> shot. Okay. <laughs> bonus shot. <clears throat> Fuck it.
1: When
2: I when I worked in my first professional kitchen, um, I read an interview with Henry Rollins who I was who who for a couple of years of my life like I loved his music, I loved his attitude, and then it got worn out pretty quickly. Gaskin. Gaskin. Skull. <clears throat> But I remember him saying in this interview about, like, the way he writes lyrics about his songs. He was like, you know, it takes me a really long time to write lyrics because, you know, I know that I, know that I evolve, but I also know that I'm going to be playing these songs for a long time because this is all I want to do with my life. Um, so I have to be willing to die for these songs. I have to be willing to like, you know, give people a good show every night that I play them live and I, and I got to mean it every time that I sing it.
1: That's a real curiosity, right? Cause you need people to give you money for your art, but you need your right. art to be meaningful. It's to right. And
2: in. I, and I just, I remember thinking like, well, wow, Henry, that's kind of funny because like listening to some of your lyrics, you can't really tell, but <laughs> cheap shot. No, that's legit. <laughs> Sorry. That's I legit. take it back. But, uh, saving all
0: that money on not wearing, but but
2: that never really hit me until I was working at strip club and I was the guy like, I mean, you know, my, my first chef job was like my first executive chef job was muffaletta, you know, and for five years, you know, I had essentially complete control over the menu, but I was also someone's, someone else's, my master, you know, like I, I was the hired hand, I was the backstairs help no matter how i felt about what i did there but when i was at strip club chains were off like you know niver would give me parameters every once in a while and you know he was really good at telling me that you know this was bullshit why the fuck did i think this worked you know like you know you can do better etc., etc etc but i would put these menus together and there's nothing in the world that i love cooking more than seafood and duck like when I mentioned the duck breast earlier, like, you know, I, Southeastern Minnesota, growing up on the river, you know, duck hunting as a kid, that's a huge part of my family's culture. And so whenever I put duck on the menu, that's a way of saying that this is where I came from. And then there were those nights where I would just get destroyed and I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, will you quit ordering duck? Like, you know, like <laughs> this, this isn't funny anymore. And that was, that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, Eddie Vedder is really tired of singing alive. Right. You know, that's it. <laughs> like, you know, like, that's it. you know, and, but, but are there, but, but, but at the same time, is he, I don't know. Well, but like,
1: it's hard to tell, you know, you there, always, there are, well, isn't that the interesting thing that like, like you can love a song, but wonder if the musician is just tired of it. Cause I often wonder that when I hear a song and it's like a very well liked song, I'm like, this guy's got to be sick of playing this
2: Well, shit. my... Jeff Gunsel, the drummer from the band that I was in back in the early 90s, he he told me that, like, he... he th- there was no musician he... Like, we loved a lot of music. There was no musician he loved more than Johnny Cash. And he told me that, like, Johnny Cash's attitude toward a boy named Sue played live was, it's two minutes and 34 seconds, Johnny. Just get through it. Yep. You know, like... <laughs> and, like... And how many people, like, listen to that crowd at Folsom Prison. Losing it. Right. You know.
0: Also, for anybody that's a fan of that album, uh, that and San Quentin are being reissued on vinyl coming out August 7th. On vinyl? On vinyl. 180 gram. Nice high five vinyl.
2: The Statler brothers and everything.
0: Uh, Uh, Also, it's just it's the Johnny at Folsom and Johnny at San Quentin. Got it. Full record, like the original. Same as far as I know. There's nothing new on it. It's just the same thing,
1: but it's been remastered and then pressed on 180 gram. So to that end, you frequently hear that Radiohead regrets ever writing Creep. Yes. Right. Right. Their big, their biggest song, and it's there's a lot of like bros who dig that track, but don't listen to anything else (sighs) of theirs. Quam, can you put a bow on this? Because you didn't even answer your relationship to food. I would like to hear that. <laughs> well, and then we got to kill it because yeah, we're, yeah, boy, we're, we're an hour and a half in, baby. Eight, hey, eight, listen, in you
0: know minutes. what this was? This was this when a band XL is killing edition. it, and all the members of the band looking at yeah. each other and like, you know what? Fucking encore. Let's just let's go well, fourth encore. Let's do it. I love but, uh, it. We're yeah. having
1: you back on, J D. Right.
0: You're gonna
2: be
1: you're gonna be a regular guest. Then.
2: I'm telling <laughs> My you, this man. Why Thank I love you, man.
0: So for me, it really it's a Zen thing. I I the act of cooking. And, and honestly, it's also to a detraction of me, I really, I get bothered if somebody comes and fucks with me when I'm, when I'm doing my thing. Like, if I'm just grilling burgers and whatever, like, totally, let's all have a good time. Sure. But when I'm trying to do something complicated that requires, like, four pans on a stove and lots of steps, I get frustrated because I literally am in, like, a meditation <laughs> Yeah. And if I have to talk or be funny or like, oh, yeah, let me get you this. And let me like, it drives me crazy. It's so Tai Chi
1: now, meditation. You exactly. need room to. Yeah. It's a
0: celebration oil. of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. But at the end of the day, it always comes back to the idea to me of serving somebody is the most noble thing that we can do. And Absolutely. That, the hosp- that's what it, it's all the build up to that. Yep. The act of cooking is Zen for me because I find it really relaxing and, and beautiful I'll put some music on that works with what I'm cooking. I literally could tell you what I would cook. If you pick any record in my house, I'll tell you what I would cook to that record, and I'll challenge you both when you come over. Please do. Uh, but really, it's because it's the buildup to serving. Somebody that I love or somebody's that I love. That's what cooking is to me, and, you, and it's the pairing of the two.
2: You're, you're hitting it on the head. I mean, I, I think that that's... That's one of the things that drew me to it so much and has sustained me through the whole thing, like learning about it and, and dedicating myself to finding as much, finding out as much about it as I could. And then all of those nights of pressure on the line, I mean, for literally 30 years, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 47. I started cooking when I was 15 years old, you know, like it is, it is fighting selfishness. Yes. You know, and, and, and that's exactly what it is. It's like, you have to keep reminding yourself that the end result of this doesn't belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. Like not you know, like whether, whether they paid for it or not, mm-hmm. whether there is commerce and in, commerce involved or not, this goes to, this nourishes somebody else. Yep. And so you're trying
1: to satisfy someone right. before you satisfy yourself, but it's nice if you can have both.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a beautiful totally. way to have both.
1: Yeah. Like, so wow, this person hates salmon. I made them. <laughs> Non overcooked salmon for yeah. the right. first fucking time.
2: Exactly. And
0: watching <laughs> yes. their mind explode where they're like, oh my God, I like this. Oh my well, God, I used actually, to, I like yeah. this fish.
2: Yeah, I used to joke about it all the time. I was like, look, you know, like that's how I used to train my staff. It was like, look, guys, you know, like like after the front of the house went over here and did that thing, I was like, look, you know, I tried, first of all, I tried to teach them not to be me. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that, was, that was one of my first deals, but also it was like, look, guys, we're, we're in the business of giving people desires they didn't know they had, you know? That's and, it. and so that that's the thing like you know we're we're gonna we're gonna trick them into thinking they know what they're getting but we're gonna give them something even better Overpromise, underdeliver under deliver is an easy way to say that but at the same time like this is how we introduce people to flavors that don't have anything to do with where they came from doesn't that feel good right. first time
1: someone has a chanterelle you right know? like that's well or how cool or the, is that
2: or the first time somebody tastes lebanese food yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. and and like the next time I get to hang out with you, whether it's on microphone or not, like I can't wait to talk to you about Omar soccer at cafe trieste. Like that, that you want to, you want to talk about music that changed my life. That is a person who changed my life. Like I read every, every day, like he, he came from Beirut. Like that's that he came over during the war in the early 1980s. Yeah. So I can't wait to talk to you about that, but he is one of those people who, the infinite patience he had with the white people who didn't want to give him the time of day and just wanted a fucking sandwich or a euro uh, that set the hook in me he is one of the reasons that i have done what i've done in my career we've got a
1: lot of follow up material i think yeah. yeah totally we're we're absolutely going to have you on you'll be you're you're going to be our first repeat guest I there guess. it is <laughs> I have well, a pretty good feeling. And until then, um, I honestly,
0: as much as I love your cooking, I, I love your writing just as much. Uh, can you let people know? Is there anywhere that any of the stuff that you've been yeah, writing that you've sent you. me yeah, that can be posted I, or yeah, is wor- posted?
2: Yeah. I'm working with Cameron Clarkson on a, it's literally just JD Fratsky, all lowercase, J D F R A T Z K E dot com. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I drop things on, on Facebook now and then. I drop things on Instagram a lot. And What's uh, your IG handle? Uh, same thing, JD Frotsky. Okay, you know? is it your
1: handle on everything? Yep. Cool.
0: If you've ever enjoyed a meal or, like, smelled your neighbor's cooking and closed your eyes and taken a deep breath or done the same thing, like, out in the middle of the woods somewhere, and you, if you smile when you smell that, read JD's shit. <laughs> that that's what that's what your writing always does to me it's reading one of your pieces is like just taking a deep breath when i'm not anywhere near a city or buildings or cars my man so Love you to death. Thank you for being here. I love you too. Thank Charles, you. Uh, thank you for being my co-host as yeah, always. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can find us on all of the socials as well at Libations for Everyone.
1: Um, at LFE Pod on Twitter. Yeah, LFE Pod on Twitter. Else, I forgot about that. At Libations for Everyone because of Twitter stupid character count. Uh,
0: <laughs> check out the other episodes. We love you for being here. Uh, I do want to throw in an addendum from episode one. I put this on Facebook, but I want to put it on the podcast, too. Uh-oh. You, hold on. You, told, you asked me if I had any guilty pleasures about music, and I came up with some pompous shit oh, about shit. how like, I'm not guilty about anything. I am really, truly in love with formerly the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks new yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And I have caught myself no less than three times in the last week almost not telling somebody that I'm into that record and then you posted about it yeah so I posted just, about it because just came right out I like, wanted to do that but I also yo. wanted to do it on the podcast if anybody listens and just doesn't okay. give a shit about being a friend of mine on Facebook <laughs> I wanted to say I fucking love that record and if I'm gonna say that there's no guilty pleasures I'm gonna straight I have to be honest about what I love the Quam new, loves the chicks is the title the of this new, episode the, the new chicks the new the chicks record and the new Taylor Swift record are both fucking phenomenal okay. and I don't even feel bad about it grapefruit <laughs> woo Alright white white noise ash Cherry lime! and all the monkeys are out thank you so much we'll talk to you soon